continuing on, as James said, not many of you should be teachers. He meant more public type, but all mature Christians should be able to teach God's word if necessary. And Paul's himself said, a curse on me if I do not preach and teach the gospel. See, he was called. He didn't have an option. The prophets had no option. They could either obey or rebel. God wasn't into a voting system. If he called you and told you to do something, that's what was required of you, okay? And he also said, let's go, it's worth reading. We'll go to 1 Corinthians 9.27. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. So he's talking about the sinful temptations that are manifested through the body that you're to subdue them, you're to overcome them, you're to resist them. He said, less, unless, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. As I've said before, that word's only used about three times, maybe four, by Paul. And the root word means you become a reprobate. Many of these false Christians, oh, it means that you won't get no rewards for your work. Uh, it means you'll be put on the shelf. No, that ain't what it means. The root word means you have apostatized. You have become disqualified from Christianity. You are cut off from the vine by God. That's what the word means. So what was Paul saying? He's saying, if I don't bring my body under and subdue it, how can I preach to other Christians to overcome and resist sin? And he's implying what's going to happen to me. I'll be disqualified. See? So many of the Pharisees and many of the Christian teachers and elders, they would teach some of the truth. And some of them knew the truth, but they didn't live the truth. So they're going to be disqualified and be shocked at the end, okay? So in other words, if I teach others that you have to resist sin and make no provision for it and get God's help to overcome the great temptations and put the old nature down, the old nature is going to be with us until we're dead or until we're raptured. That's why Paul said we are groaning to be delivered. See, we're born again. We have Christ living in us. But our will can choose to be led of the Spirit, or our will can choose to go back and be seduced by the world. We always have that capability until we put on immortality. Then that will not be possible. We'll be as the angels, not able to be tempted for evil. Like God himself, he says he cannot be tempted with evil. So see, that's the part that we shall be like when we have put on immortality. But while we are on earth, we are being tested. We're under probation. We're given weapons and graces sufficient to overcome. And if we do not use them, we will be overcome. And damnation will be the end of those who do not overcome with the Lord's help, okay? On the other hand, we cannot live the Christian life by our own effort. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. See, we can't bear fruit unless we yield to the Spirit. In other words, too, we've said that Jesus cannot bear fruit in the Christian without the consent of the Christian. See, there's the union 
and the branch that doesn't bear fruit, the father looks and says, well, there's nothing wrong with the vine. He's just holy, pure, and powerful, and he's provided all the sap and the nourishment, and this person won't accept it. Has refused. I'm going to cut it off. It's useless. See? It was the branch that determined whether it stayed in Christ or not. Okay? So we see then that we have to teach people to overcome if they're a Christian. We do not teach them uh, once saved, always saved, which is a demonic teaching. We do not teach people they have a license to sin and they're saved anyway. It's a demonic teaching. Even Peter talked about that. He said, they promise you liberty. Oh, you have grace and faith and you're saved. He said, while they are bound and slaves to sin, they've not been delivered. See, they're lip talkers. They're not overcoming. So he said, they promise liberty to people. That's why people say it's the best gospel going. Just say this little prayer and believe, and then you can have your ticket to heaven and escape hell, and then you can live like hell here on the earth. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that really sound like God's ways? See, only those given over with demons start to believe that or want to believe it. They don't want the truth. They love believing these lies because it eases their distorted conscience that is being hardened, okay? So he's saying, Paul said, I have to subdue and resist, or how can I teach others to do the same, okay? He did not believe in many of these false teachings that on the surface sound wonderful, but they're not true. He didn't say that God somehow will save you no matter what you do. That's a New Age false teaching. That's Calvinism in certain aspects. He didn't say, no matter what I do, he'll always forgive. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says those who persistently rebel against him, he says he will cut them off and they won't have a remedy. He has some strong words to the persistent sinner against his grace. They don't want to talk about that today. Oh, it's the love of Christ. Well, he's no different than Jehovah because he is Jehovah. And he hasn't changed his attitude towards sin or his punishment that's going to be manifested. See, people will talk about, oh, for God so loved the world. Yeah, that's their favorite scripture. But they forget the verses that follow. And Jesus said, he that does not believe in the Son, the wrath of God remains on him. What is the wrath of God? Anger, indignation, hatred of sin and lifestyle. He says, he's still under that. Oh, I hear preachers sometimes when I'm switching my channel, I have to hear them to get past them. Well, God's changed. Uh, he's not the great judge anymore. Jesus is going to judge everybody <laughs> Therefore, he's not angry with us no more. He's very angry if you're living in gross sin. But his love is that he loved the world. He's long-suffering. See, that's the love of God. It's his goodwill and intention. It's not a sentimental love. The love for the believer is a covenant love. And as the believer obeys the Lord, the Lord can reveal more of himself. And perfect love casts out fear. He's not afraid of being judged if he's not living in sin. He has peace with God. And when he sins, uh, he repents and judges himself, Paul says. If you judge yourself, you won't be judged by the Lord. 
But see, a true Christian doesn't get away with his sins. He either starts dealing with them or God will deal with them. And God will deal more strongly and more thoroughly than you will. So that's why he says, if we judge ourselves, if God sees we mean business and we repent and we do what's right and try to make things right, then he doesn't look at our sin. He says, oh, they mean business. But if he sees a person that just gives lip service, I've said, I've said, and they go out and they keep doing the same thing over and over again, he says, well, if they're my child, I don't have no bastards. And I'm going to take the rod to him, and it's going to be very grievous. And it's going to drive him to holiness, or it's going to drive him out of the kingdom. That's what it's going to do. So people's concept of Christ and God is very perverted. There's no fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Now, Hebrews says we should serve God in spirit and be acceptable and reverence him and honor him. That's what he says. And immediately he says, for our God is a consuming fire. What is he saying? He's saying if you don't serve him and honestly and holiness, God will judge you. When he uses that scripture, it's quoted out of Deuteronomy. He judged the idolatry. He says, and our God is a consuming fire. Well, what is the lake of fire and hell but a consuming fire? See, that's the wrath and indignation. So he warns the Christian, stay with God. Don't sin. The fear of the Lord is to fear. Part of it is to sin against God, that he's no respecter of persons. And God, in his wisdom, he may not let you live long. He may not let you play with his grace. That's his prerogative. And I've heard stories of both. You know, people think, well, I'll get right tomorrow. And they meant it. And they were killed in a car wreck. God may have said, no, you won't. There's no teaching that God is forgiving all the time to all the people. There's no such thing. When he shuts the door, like he did with the foolish virgins, and they were Christians at that time, or what he meant, the standard he was revealing. They were holy and righteous. But once he stood up and shut the door, what does he say to them? I don't know you. He didn't know them before. He didn't say, I never knew you, like he's going to say to most people who profess to be Christian, who were never born again, who never followed the Lord. He tells them, I don't know you. See? As we said, when God shut the door on the ark, it was too late to change your mind. When God shut the door on the whole nation of Israel, told them to go in and possess the land, and they wouldn't do it. He said, you'll wander for 40 years, and you complained about your children being prey. Everyone from 20 under, they shall go into the land, but you'll die in the wilderness. And he let them wander for 40 years and die off. He says, you're not going. Did you know that he came back the next day and told Moses, we will obey the Lord? They changed their mind. And Moses said, it's too late. God didn't change his mind. See, that's the fear of the Lord. You don't presume. There's the general nature of God and then there's the specific. And he will be gracious to him, he will be gracious and he'll harden. And those who harden themselves against God, God starts to harden himself toward them. And he's merciful to those, many, that try 
to make things right and come back. It says he'll be merciful. That's the general nature of God. But he has individual judgment. And at times he'll take an individual and say, I'll make an example of him. Like he did Pharaoh. Like he did King Saul, which there was no repentance for. So he that is faithful, okay, didn't say who said I've said the son of prayer. It says he that believes unto the end. God isn't into one-time experiences. People think because they confess the Lord and they've been baptized, that's it. That's just the beginning of the race, and it can be forfeited. See? That's why they talk their whole life. Oh, I'm just a weak Christian. Oh, I'm at least a baby Christian. If you have been a baby Christian for 20, 30 years, you got the false gospel. Oh, you backslid a long time ago because you're not a Christian. I tell people that all the time. I tell myself that. Don't go back and look for some experience that is an update. Don't go back and try to claim a word or a prophecy that doesn't apply anymore because you failed. See, that's what a lot of people do. When I used to counsel, they'd bring up something they felt the Lord told them 15 years ago, and they'd been living in sin for 10 years. I said, none of that applies anymore. There were conditions to these things, and you failed. And when you get right with God, he'll let you know what you have to redo or whether he'll make another vessel out of you and says, that, that doesn't apply anymore. See, people think everything's fixed. No, it's not. Well, let me tell you a secret. People use this scripture wrong too, especially the Calvinistic once saved, always saved people. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They say that means that once you're saved, God never repents and you're always saved. <laughs> That's a good way of perverting God's word. That scripture applied to Israel, if you read the context. God, through Abraham and David and some prophets, he promised, I'm going to do something through the nation of Israel. He didn't promise the individuals. And so when they fail, generation after generation, and he destroyed some of them, he started again. He went with someone. He said, I'm going to have this purpose. So after the tribulation period, when he destroys most of the wicked, and most of the Jews are wicked, just as wicked, but there'll be a remnant. And when he, they come to the Lord, he will deal with Israel as a special nation during a thousand years. They will be chief among nations. See, that's the promise he's talking about. If a Christian's called to be a teacher, a prophet, or anything else, and if he sins and is cut off, that ministry's cut off. God don't care about it. See, people apply, and they'll go to that scripture to say, well, that proves that once we're saved, we're always saved. No, it doesn't. It proves you're an idiot. And you're, you're deceived. And the devil has got you, and you go stand speechless when you're thrown into the lake of fire. Read your Bible and ask for understanding. See, people want to go to the Bible, pick out and choose what they like. They don't work that way. Okay? We have to believe what the Lord says, whether we like it or not. I've had many people tell me, well, I don't believe that. I said, well, you. Oh, I believe the Lord's Lord, but I don't. I said, well, the Lord said that. I know, but I just can't believe that. I said, well, then you are a false Christian. That gets their attention. <laughs> you can't pick and choose what you want to do, okay? So we're seeing then the Christian experience. We have to believe, and that word believe means believe to obey. We have to be faithful. 
We have to do good. He calls it doing good, spiritual works, obeying Christ until the end of our life. The Christian must bear fruit. He must have spiritual works and he must be obedient or he's not a Christian. Very simple. See, God looks and says, there's no fruit. There's no obedience. Live those spiritual works. Cut that branch off and cast it into outer darkness. That's going to be his ultimate attitude toward those kind of people. Okay? Verse 23. You, he's speaking to the Jewish people here, those that knew the law, whether they were converted or not, but mainly the unsaved Jews who thought they were better than the Christians. You who brag about the law, through your breaking of the law, you dishonor God. So the day is that you claim to be a Christian and you're having an affair. You're fornicating. You're crooked in your business. Then the world blasphemes and says, oh, I don't want that kind of God. Said the Gentiles under Isaiah, the nations looked at the Jews the way they were living and said, we don't want nothing to do with that God. They profess to be holy and they're more wicked than we are. See, that was their attitude. They recognized a hypocrite when they saw one, okay? And so he's saying, you hypocrite, you dishonor God by breaking the law. While Jesus told the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes, you lay aside the law for your rules and traditions when it suits you. See, they taught the law to a great degree taught Moses' commandment. And Jesus said, do what they tell you. He meant when they're teaching the law, but don't live like them because they're wicked. That's what he meant. So he said, you'll lay aside the word of God for your beliefs. Oh, people do that all the day. Their denominations and their book of order. I confronted a minister one time and he quoted to me his book of order as if it superseded scripture. Well, we can't do that because I said, well, then you're going to hell because you've laid aside the word of God for your foolishness. That's why God doesn't work in many denominations. They got their rules and traditions, and they think it's better than God's. Well, the Spirit don't tolerate that. That's why most churches are not a lampstand. Christ is not in the midst of them. There may be a few individuals that are Christians, but it's not a true church. See, we live in dark times. Start studying scripture, you'll see how dark it's getting. Okay? So he said to them, How can you escape the damnation of God? How can you escape hellfire? And it was a rhetorical question. You can't. You who lay aside God's word for your traditions and your beliefs, you're, you can't escape hell. So that's what he's telling them. This is not the sentimental Jesus people want, is it? He tells them the truth. So the professor of God's word and not the doer cannot escape hellfire. Oh, there's many who profess. So when Jesus told the multitudes claiming to be Christian, and they were talking about all the good works they did or ministries, he said, you are workers of lawlessness. What does that mean? You do not obey Christ and God. You're evil. You're self-centered. You're doing religion to make money or to get attention because that's the only way you can get attention. So you're using religion and Christianity to get what you want. You're merchandising people. 
That's what many of these prosperity people are doing. They become millionaires and billionaires. How can you die with millions of dollars and claim to be a Christian if you are not doing millions of dollars worth of good? What's the purpose? Even a heathen, a person who wasn't a real good Christian, he was a billionaire at the turn of the century. We would call him a billionaire, even though he had hundreds of millions. He said any rich person that dies filthy rich has failed in his life. Even he saw you had to do good for people if you've got lots. See? Oh, well, we've got prosperity people. They brag about it. Oh, I'm worth a billion dollars. Yeah, and you stole it from a lot of ignorant people to get there. Okay? Well, I'm prospered. Yeah, you go find out how much you have been prospered at the day of judgment. Okay? See, they're deceived and given over to lion spirits. So the great name Jehovah, even the surrounding nations, they knew this was a, why they didn't like him. He, he was a holy God, and he didn't let them commit fornication and be immoral. All of these nations around the Jews that caused them, to, why did the Jews go so much into idolatry? Because the main purpose of these idolatrous teachings. They were promiscuous and sinful. They were homosexuals. They were adulterers. And they come into the temple and they do this and they think they're pleasing God. See, no wonder they liked it. When Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and when he came down, the people gave up on him and they started throwing a wild party. If you look at the real translation, there was 22,000 of them who were dancing naked. And God had the Levites, they were the faithful ones of all the tribe, take a sword and say, you go kill them. It don't matter if your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your wife, you kill them. And God had 22,000 of them killed. See, they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be promiscuous. They wanted to have fun with their immorality. Well, read the book of Revelation. It says, no immoral person will make it. Jesus said they will be cast into the lake of fire. Any immoral person will say that's why they didn't like it. They didn't want to have much to do because this God demanded a holy life and a good life. He took all the fun from us. See, they wanted to indulge their sinful nature. They didn't want to change. Only time sometimes people change is they have a fear they might go to hell. That's not going to save them. God doesn't save people to keep them out of hell. That's one of the rewards. He saves people that they'll be righteous in Christ and want to live godly and follow the Spirit. So when people get saved just out of fear, they don't last long. They can't live that way, see, because God isn't helping them anyway. So they see that the people look at them and say, well, you blaspheme your own God. You don't live right, and you want us to convert to your form of religion? Then they said, well, you should believe what you preach. They would say today, practice what you preach, you hypocrite. I see, that's what God was saying to them. Okay, 525. For indeed, circumcision is of value. Got it? Now read the second part. He's talking to the Jew. It's of value when there wasn't Christ coming yet, and they had to live by the law. He said, it's of value. If you practice the law, if you don't keep the law, it's of no value. And I've told many people, well, I was baptized, and I said, do you keep the law of Christ? 
are you being led with, well, not really. He's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. I said, no, he's not your Savior. The word Savior is only mentioned 16 times in the New Testament, roughly. Lord is mentioned over 400 to 500 times. See, he can't be your Savior and not be your Lord. God uses the word interchangeably. He said to the ones who believed under the preaching of Paul and them, he said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He called a believer immediately a disciple. He didn't make no distinction. To be a saved by God, you're saved for God. See, they think they're saved from sin and they can live like they want to and they got their ticket. Uh-uh. We are saved from the world to Christ. We are separated. That's what the word sanctify means. We are separated from wickedness unto holiness, and then we are consecrated to the Lord. You're not without a master. You were under the devil's control, and he was your master, whether you knew it or not. And now you've come to the Lord. You're his. You're not your own. You can't do as you please. See, that's the fallacy of so many of these mental ascent. Christianity, which will not get them anywhere, okay? He said, so if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor, that's a similar word to a lawless person, a sinner, a person full of iniquity and disobedience. Transgress means you go beyond what is permitted. God sets the laws and you're not to go beyond them. He set the law for Adam and Eve. You can have all the fruits you want to eat, but you can't eat this tree. And they transgressed him when they ate of that fruit. God has said with the immoral person, people with sexual, he says, I sanctify sex within the marriage. Outside the marriage, sexual relations with anybody or any animal or any perverted person will send you to hell. He doesn't sanction it. So it can be holy in marriage, and it can be despised and despicable outside marriage. See, God sets the standard of what he considers. He sets laws. He said they're not to be grievous. They were meant to be for man's good. They were not to constrain. But wicked people don't like to be good, and they don't seek the help of God, so they don't get it. And they love the pleasures of sin, and they're drawn back into the world. So if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Isn't that something? So that's why Jesus could tell the, the Jewish scribes, the Pharisees, he says, your father's the devil. They thought it was Jehovah. They were religious and they were doing all these things and traditions and and they thought he was their God and they were chosen. He says, your father's the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning of mankind and you're going to do the same thing. See, he knew they were going to murder him. It was in their heart and he began to see it and he knew that what his end must be. But it was wicked people who did it, okay? You covenant Jews that were circumcised think that makes you a Jew. Well, today they believe it does. If your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish, okay? By breaking the laws, you nullify your standing and covenant, okay? 
So even a Jew today is not a true Jew because God's abolished the system. They're without Christ. They're just as pagan and lost as a Gentile is that doesn't come to Christ. And they don't keep the law anyway, so they're judged by the law. They don't sacrifice. They don't keep the rules. They decide to change a lot of them. Well, see, it's because God isn't in it anyway. He doesn't care about all their tradition or what their bloodline is. Paul said it wasn't important. Get caught up in who your ancestors are. They're all sinners. That's who your ancestors are. I remember one time a lady proudly told me, I was visiting a church, that when she found out I was from Virginia, she said, do you know the McLeans? And I said, no. She said, well, they came over on the Mayflower, and my descendants are from them. I said, well, that's wonderful. I said, I'm descended from Noah. He came over on the ark. She didn't like that. Okay. Who cares? God don't care. Okay. So he says what? Uh, when they were under the law, he expected them to keep the law. But he said, but by breaking the law, you nullify your standing. You have become filthy sinners again. Under Moses and the law, remember, idolatry, murderers, kidnappers, gross sinners, and so forth. They were dragged away from God's altar of mercy. They could not repent. God offered no repentance for them. They were put to death. So even under the law, there were certain standards. And if you broke those standards, there was no mercy. There was no sacrifice for you. Under the new covenant, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness. If God hardens you and refuses to give you the gift of repentance again, you cannot be saved. See, he offers in general, wants the backslider to come back. He did it under the old covenant. He does under the new. But some go too far, and finally God says, uh-uh, not anymore. See, that's his right. He offered. Noah preached the gospel 120 years. As far as we know, he got no converts outside. And his sons, who were 100 years old, but they were young, they lived to, Shem lived to be 900 and something. They got in because of Noah. They didn't live as righteously and holy, but God let them in because they obeyed their father. Same thing happened to Job. He made sacrifices. He said, perhaps my sons have cursed God or said something. They weren't living like Job lived, but God protected his family until the great test came. And they were still covered because, and yet one time when God was judging Israel, he said, though Noah, Job, and Daniel were there, they would only save their own souls. He was saying they were so wicked, I wouldn't even look at their, their grown children. Their response, they're going to be judged with the rest of the world. So, see, they had advantages, disadvantages. And so Noah's sons were wise that they helped their father build the ark and, and went in with him. They didn't rebel against him. And therefore, God's grace to Noah included them. Isn't that interesting? Okay. And so what did he say then? If you're dragged away from the altar, there are certain laws and principles and covenants. You can always break them. They're always conditional, regardless of what the false shepherds say. Oh, when you're saved, the covenant's unconditional. No, it's not. When you're sealed by the Holy... Well, yeah. And that seal was based, an example, on the Roman seal. But if you became a traitor, they broke the seal. 
and executed you, okay? Uh, they don't go that far. They don't like that part. So even though they believed they were in the covenant and they were circumcised, if they died because of their sins, they were out of the covenant and their sins were not forgiven. And Jesus and the apostles taught this. If you do not obey Christ and the principles of Christianity, your Christianity is nullified. It's vain, as James would say, is of no use. That kind of Christianity, he said, cannot save a person. He was talking about mental ascent Christianity. Well, that's what most people have. Oh, I believe Jesus is the Lord, and he died on a cross, and he rose again. He won't get you into heaven. Do you obey the Lord? Are you led of the Spirit? That'll get you into heaven, okay? So that's what James tried to clarify from the beginning. You claim to be Christians, and you see your Christian brothers around you are starving, and you've got lots of money, and you're not even helping them. How can Christ be in you? How can you have true Christianity? Paul implied you can't. He said, you fool. He called them fools. Don't you know, he said, oh, they hate this one, the Calvinists. A man is not justified by faith alone. So what, Lucifer? Luther, well, Lucifer too, you were wrong. A man is not justified by faith alone, but by spiritual works. That proves he has the real faith. So all Luther did was go from Catholicism and Lutheranism, what much difference in them. Most of those people had lip service just like the Catholics did, okay? And everybody's built the foundation. When God himself, through the said it's not lip service. Millions upon millions, if not billions, will say, Lord, Lord, they think they're Christians. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, lawless. I don't know you. Well, so much for mental ascent, saving a person, huh? So much for people saying, oh, I believe in Christianity. Okay, we see that Jesus, isn't this interesting? We've said it before. John the Baptist was the greatest of ministries, greater than any of the prophets' ministries. Abraham, David, it was his ministry that God called him to. And as it was none like him, even Jesus said this. Anybody under the old covenant, ministry-wise, John was considered the greatest ministry. Jesus said that. Why did he say that? Because when John the Baptist came along for several years, he preached repentance. He didn't preach believe in the Lord. He preached repentance. He preached under the law. And he told the people, straighten up. Let me baptize you if you'll stop your sinning. And if they turned that way, he baptized them. And you know what it did for them? According to the law, their sins were washed away. And then they were able to believe who Jesus was. The Pharisees and the priests came to be baptized. And John said, what I have to do with you, go away. He said, go show some fruits worthy of repentance. He was saying, you haven't changed. You haven't repented. You're still wicked. Go change and then come back and I'll baptize. And you know, when Jesus came along preaching, repent and believe who I am. And that I'm the Savior, that I'm the Son of God. Did you know that half of Jesus' 12 apostles came from John? See, they could receive the truth because sin wasn't blocking them. But the Pharisees, Jesus told them, you'll die in your sins because you don't believe who I am. He said, search the scriptures, they speak of me. 
But because they were in that gross sin, the scripture's not plain to them. See, people don't get that. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hid these things from the wise and brilliant and revealed them to the babes, the simple. So the common people, that was mostly who came to the Lord and the disciples. There wasn't many Pharisees and priests at that time. See, So John did the greatest of ministry. He purified the way. See, Jesus said, if you don't obey the law, you won't believe if a man comes and, well, that's what Abraham said, and is raised from the dead. The guy in hell that wants a drop of water, I think he still wants it. He said, oh, go and warn my brothers not to come to this place. And Abraham said, they have the law and the prophets. He said, oh, they won't listen. But if one raised from the dead, and Abraham said, even if one raises from the dead, they'll not believe it. What was he saying? Their sin blinds them to spiritual truth. Sin is a poison. It poisons the mind and the spirit. So John's greatest ministry was preparing people for Jesus, preparing those under the law. People think, oh, Peter was a filthy old fisherman. That's a bunch of bunk. When the Lord called him after the resurrection to go preach to the Gentile, Cornelius, the Lord had given him a symbol, a, a dream a vision, and told him to kill these animals and eat them. And Peter looked and said, they're unclean animals. I've never eaten an unclean animal in my life. He was a faithful Jew in the light that he had. He was no filthy fisherman. That's all a bunch of bunk of the world, okay? And by the way, Jesus was not a good-looking movie star. Isaiah says that his appearance, that we would not desire him. The world would look at Jesus, they wouldn't find nothing unique about him. His physical appearance was plain. I doubt whether he was ugly and he wasn't beautiful. He was simply, and Isaiah said, we, we would not esteem him. We would not want to be around him, the normal people of the world, okay? That's what he was teaching. Okay, so we will end in verse 25. If you practice the law as a Jew, that was great. And if you didn't practice it, God considered you a non-Jew, plain and simple. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding of your ways and the process of sin and iniquity. As your word says, do not be deceived by the hardness of sin, lest it deceive you. And he was talking to Christians, Lord, that sin could cause them to believe lies and be damned. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.